I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at Kind Farms Inc., all one word. That's K I N D P H A R M S I N C. And their website is kindfarmsinc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today on An Actor Despairs, we have T.T. the Artist. T.T. the Artist is a visual artist and a rapper from Baltimore. She's got this beautiful film that's a visual audio experience called Dark City Beneath the Beat. It was so moving and so chromatic. I was so intrigued by it. And, and the story of Baltimore is very near and dear to my heart as I grew up in the D.C. Metro Virginia area. So I'm so excited to have it. Here it is. So, Titi, tell me, you, you grew up in, in Baltimore, right? Um, well, I actually was born and raised in Florida. Okay. South Florida. I moved to Baltimore when I was 18 years old. Wow. And um, to go to college. Tell, tell me about your Florida beginnings. What, what was that like? Where were you in Florida? Uh, growing up in Florida was, you know, for me, I grew up from a religious family. So uh, a lot of the majority of my life, I was kind of sheltered in a sense, very restricted. I wasn't allowed to, like, actually listen to a lot of secular music. I had to, like, sneak away and listen to the music. Um, going to record stores? Go Say that again? I said, were you going to record stores? Um, no. Actually, at the time, it was like, I would, get, I would my dad would buy CDs. And he would keep them in his desk drawer, and I would actually, like, sneak in his room, and I would take the CDs, and I had a CD player, and I would, like, you know, when I could, sneak away and listen to the CDs. It was He had a lot of, like, uh, dance music, Miami bass, and 90s R&B music. Wow. So I kind of, like, had that love for those sounds. Amazing. And then how, how did you kind of, were you, were you playing music as well? Yeah, well, I, you know, when I was a kid, I was more so, I was listening to music and I was writing. Um, it was more so when I was in high school, I started writing rhymes, and that's when I really discovered that I wanted to be a rapper, because I had a friend who 
who was a female rapper, and she just was so cool. When she would battle rap people, she always would, like, win the battles. And I just like that she was a woman that was respected for her voice. Even at a young age, like, I could feel that there was something about that, and I wanted that. I wanted attention from my voice for the things that I said. And so, um, aside from music, I was into visual art. Yeah. My dad, I think it's hereditary, because my dad used to doodle a lot, and um, he could really, really draw, but he never looked at it as a career. Yeah. So I kind of inherited those natural bit of creative skills, and so that kind of led me more to a visual art direction, and that's what brought me actually to Baltimore was um, going to art college. Wow. And how were, you, were your parents supportive of your endeavors? Yeah. Um, by the time I went to college, my parents were divorced. Um, I grew up in a very, like my father, it was domestic violence happening in the home. So oh, sorry. You know, watching my mother, watching my mother go through that and then come out of it. You know, by the time I was in high school, my parents were divorced. Yeah. So, um, you know, I went to Baltimore. My mom's my mom only been to Baltimore two times to, to drop me out freshman year and to see graduate. Wow. And so um, it was just a big step. It was a big step. I hadn't even been to Baltimore to visit because financially we just, you know, didn't have that money to just hop on a plane and yeah. travel back and forth. Totally. So it was like my first time was just literally freshman orientation week. So you you, 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 you literally flew time. blind into Baltimore knowing nothing. Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. What a big decision. What what yeah, art school did you go to there? Um, I attended the Maryland Institute College of Art. Oh yeah, I know that. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah. And do you feel like at that uh, universities where you were started to kind of find your voice and your vision? Absolutely. I mean, I felt like my freshman year was a little blurry because at first the first semester, of course, you're homesick. But you know. One of the things I always tried to do was get involved with student activities, and that kind of like what got me back into performing because I started becoming a voice around campus, hosting all the events, um, and running actually, you know, everything from open mic nights to uh, film production nights where we have like a group of um, screenings. We have screenings. Yeah. And people will come out. It's called Channel Organics, and people will come out. I was the host of that. And I also was coordinating the fashion shows and did at the annual fashion show at the Black Student Union. So I was really, you know, getting known around campus and I had a voice and I was really cool friends with the cafeteria ladies. Like I never had a picture of <laughs> after freshman year. Yeah. I mean, we looked out for real and you know, I was became a residential advisor. Um so it was a very cool experience and actually when I met one of my best friends who was a Baltimore native, it was kinda of when I got out of the micro bubble and it started to actually see Baltimore wow. and all the different things that came with Baltimore like the music and the culture and that's when I you know started to branch off more into like exploring the city and do you think, like, did you find guides, you know, because I know when you go to new cities, it's really hard to, like, uncover the great gems of that city without, like, someone taking you around and, you know, because I've spent a lot of time in Baltimore, you know, like, De Pasquale's, the Auto Bar, you know, those, the Charleston, like, those are my spots, you know, and, and uh, or Club Charles, sorry. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, how did you kind of find, you know, the places to be? Well, my best friend, he was born and raised in Baltimore, and he just started to take me out. And I also had, like, six jobs when I was in college. 
was crazy. It was wow. like I had a different job every day. So I was working at a, a cafe. I was working at an art gallery, interning. Then I had a job on campus. And then at night, I had a go-go dancing job at a nightclub. Wow. And then um, I was also just, you know, doing freelancing and trying to do my music. Like, for the most part, I was, you know, attending open mic night. I wasn't really going hard with the music at that time because I was really focused on my education. Yeah. But I knew that, like, that was something that I really wanted to do, and, you know, at some point in my life. And just having my friend, say was more having him, he really just opened the door to me. And then I met a lot of friends through him. And I kind of just, like, I got welcomed into different communities yeah. through the arts, just, just for being an artist and stepping outside and, and meeting people and, and just going to different events and networking. And I literally didn't know anyone I came to Baltimore. Like, it was crazy. Just, like, going from knowing nobody to basically everybody, everybody knowing you type of thing. Yeah, totally. That's yeah. amazing. And and do you feel like Baltimore was, did it take you a while to, to build fans there? Or, or were they pretty receptive right away to, to what you were doing aesthetically and musically? I mean, yeah, I would say as a woman, like before I was doing club music, I was just straight doing like traditional hip hop, you know, lyrical, all about the lyrics. Who are, who are some of your influences early on? Now, who who are some of your influences early on? Sorry, to, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, I mean, Lauryn Hill, Little Kim, Foxy Brown, Camila Chiefman, MC Light. Yeah. Like, those were my... I remember actually back in... It's on YouTube, actually. I got a chance to rap for MC Light. Wow. And I spent, like, some time for her. And that was, like, a really big moment. I thought I was about to be on after that. <laughs> That's amazing. But, um, no. <laughs> she liked it, though. She yeah. liked it. And, I guess people just tell you things. And at this time, you know, was yeah. it was this the MySpace era? Like, wh- where were you putting your music? Yeah, yeah. It was on MySpace. Wow. I was probably still up there. I was going to buy House of Tea Productions. Love that. And I was doing different things. When I was doing hip-hop a lot. Um, then I started to get into dance music. Actually, I had lived in New York for two years. Like, after I graduated from college, I lived in New York for two years. And I was going back and forth to New York to Baltimore. Then I went back to Baltimore in 2008. And that's when Teacher the Artist really came into existence. Like, I was like, okay, I'm going to really do this. And I'm curious, you know, because... Music, mm-hmm. Musically, you know, a lot of people would go to L.A. or New York. What was it about Baltimore? I mean, I know you went to university there, but what what do you felt like called you back to the city? Well, my friend, the same friend that introduced me to Baltimore, my best friend, he had started his own art company. And I felt like I was in New York working seven days a week, paying very expensive rent, and I had no time for creative time. Yeah. So you just- I started going back and forth, and I noticed when I was going back to Baltimore, I was super busy doing creative stuff. And they had, my friend had a house, and he was like, yo, we have this house, creative house. And at that time, there were no, um, like, black creative collectives, like, young creative collectives in Baltimore, like, art collectives. But we kind of started, like, when I came back, I brought that New York hustle to Baltimore. Yeah, totally. Like, we were painting and, like, we were, taking, we were doing live painting in the nightclubs, at NFL parties, and celebrity parties. Like, we just started to build this culture in Baltimore. And all the young people, all the local celebrities who came out of Baltimore started to come. They were coming through us. Like the Wirecast? 
Say that again? Or was it the cast of The Wire? No, not the cast of The Wire. Um, <laughs> I was like, it was Idris Elba there chilling? <laughs> That's funny. Say that again? I, I, I thought, you know, I know Idris Elba's a DJ, so I didn't know if he was like, you know, coming in around the Baltimore scene. Yeah, I mean, I I, I was friends actually with I'm friends with Shelton and the Wire. Okay. She's, really, she's, one of the, she's someone that I actually, we, we actually lived with each other for like a couple months. Wow. She was dating a, a friend of mine, and so we actually lived together, but like even when we see each other now, it's all love. And I mean, I just started to meet a lot of people because I was doing this art thing and the music thing, and then we started doing our own events. And now when you go to Baltimore, you see one day. Yeah. People coming together, creating events, and I have to say that we were really like the people that started that wave in totally. Baltimore. Wow. So, you know, and that's then, why I think that, that when I started doing club music and stuff, people received it because they saw I had worked for a, a certain amount of years just doing the music and grinding. Like, I was competing with male rappers doing competitions. Oh, wow. You know, bringing all the creative songs onto the stage that people were not used to saying, like, the color. Yeah. You because know? Baltimore, a lot of the rap and hip-hop in Baltimore is, like, really street and, you know, imagine being in a competition with, like, 30 male rappers, and then you come in and show up with, like, seven girls, and you guys have mad colors on and wigs. And wow. just, like, having fun on stage. So I always do that type of act, and I think that's what really attracted people with the energy that I would bring to the stage. That's amazing. And then uh, talk to me about, like, you know, what were you doing? Were you doing visual art during this time as well? Or were you just, was it your aesthetic appearance while you were doing these mic, you know, throwdowns? Um, yeah, it, it was, it's always been like, I've always been multi-hyphenate. Like, if there was any opportunities where I could paint, perform, do a show, host an open mic, I always tried to, like, intersect everything. Yeah. And then I started getting, you know, when I started to get into video, which, started with me, me directing my music, my own music videos. Like, that's where it all came from. I just used to direct and produce all my music videos, edit them, and then I started shooting for local artists. Like, I'm talking about the hoodest rappers in the game. Yeah. And I would do these, I would do these videos where I'd be like, uh, okay, three videos for $300 a pop. And then I would go on set, and they would have these wads of money, like, in their hands. I'm like, man, what am I thinking? I'm, I'm just bad business. I'm, I'm shortchanging myself. Yeah. So um, I did that for a minute, and then, you know, that's when the DSLR camera started coming out to everybody was calling themselves directors and stuff like that. But, you know, I just felt like I, I learned so much just, like, being in the community. And I always, like, with club music came into my life, that you know, opened the doors up even more because I found a different side of myself that I didn't know existed. Yeah. It gave me a more international and global audience. So I'm just, like, feeling like I don't think that I would be the artist I was had I not, you know, had spent my time in Baltimore. And it, it really became, like, my second home. And do you feel like as the power of the internet and social media rose that you were able to utilize those platforms to help you move forward with like YouTube and, and all the other, you know, opportunities that were presented or did you not, did you care more just about doing well in Baltimore? Well, see, my thing was, I, I, I was doing shows and I was traveling, um, when it, when it was starting to kind of buzz up, you know, um, the blogs were starting to come to Baltimore. They were asking to interview me and some of my peers. And I just never felt like I got that exposure that I 
probably would have gotten in a major music hub like yeah. New York or LA or Atlanta. And but but at the same time, you know, I was I was developing. Um, the internet wasn't as prominent as it is now. There wasn't was SoundCloud like, yet, obviously. Yeah, with SoundCloud, you know, but in YouTube. But the thing is, you still had to have like mixtapes. You still had to do these live shows. You still had to earn your <laughs> the respect. Pay your dues, earn your respect. Like you, you know, Baltimore shows, they're a tough crowd. Like they will you. You know, so yeah. I had to like really earn my respect in uh, in the city. And you know, I found that in doing so and learning all that, that gave me resilience and that gave me like endurance that I feel like a lot of new artists may not even understand. Like even the mental capacity that comes with being in the industry, like to be able to have, you know, keep your mental intact while dealing with so much of this stuff that comes with the industry. Totally. It's a practice. It's a daily practice. And as, as you started rising, were any A&R or publishing guys coming to you trying to get you to sign to, to an indie or to a major? No, I honestly, maybe my, maybe like 2015, I got offered a deal with Tommy Boy Records, but I turned it down. Yeah. Because, you know, it just didn't make sense. And it's crazy because I heard about the deal they did with um, one of these older groups. I think it was uh, De La Soul or one of those groups. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, but they were like, yeah, they were asking for like a 50 50 deal, but it was kind of like. Oh, my God. They're robbing not you. As much. Yeah, it wasn't much support. Yeah, you know, it seemed like I would still be doing all the work, paying for my content, doing all that. So very early on, I had a friend who was helping me, helping was kind of you know managing me, you know, just a friend of mine, and you know he instilled in me at a very early stage of my career that as a woman, like I still have to speak and tell people what I want and to educate myself on the music business. Totally, because um, you know I, I can get caught up in things like that. So. Yeah, it, I never, I not, like I talked, but it just was crazy because it never was presented to me. And I always, that kind of got to me a little bit because I knew I was a great performer. I knew I could hold down these stages. I mean, I was doing stages, you know what I mean? But in hindsight, I believe that that independent grind was meant to teach me how to run a business, how to run my own label. And, you know, I have now gotten to a place where I am seeing more success and more opportunities from the things that I'm doing, which is different. You know, I, I wasn't yeah. in a, the same way. Like, there's not a lot of black female dance music artists that are also intersect in hip hop. Totally. And club music. And, you know, it was very hard for me. Like, I always felt like what made me different from a lot of other um, artists was maybe they had a a sound or one particular tone that they stuck with, but I just always hopped from different genres. I was cross genres. And I feel like now we're in a space where that's acceptable. You know, like you have artists like Doja Cat and you have like the Rico Nazis and just all these different artists that are not necessarily the Tierra Wax, you know, like the Tierra Wax and stuff. Like they're, they're offering a different perspective on what women and music look like, sound like, you know? Love and that. that's what my record label is all about. And then, you know, and and then where did the, the spectrum? Where did the conceptualization come for the film? You know, like I, I got a lot of vibes oh, of oh, Beyonce's yeah. Lemonade. Like, well, how did that? You know, mm-hmm. what was the impetus for that? Well, my senior year in college, that's when I really started to like get into club music more. And 
I was going to this club, the Paradox a lot, and I just loved seeing it. It was something that was amazing to me. I'm like, well, I don't a lot of people know about this. And I said, I got to document this. Because at the time, nobody really was. Yeah. And so um, it was actually my senior year in college where I decided that I wanted to do a film about Baltimore club music. And from there, throughout the years, I was, you know, trying to make it happen. I was pitching it. I I was emailing people. I would meet people. I'd be like, hey, I have this idea. But I just didn't know anything about the structure of making a film. Totally. Um, kind of just all trial and error. And was there someone who you found that helped mentor you through the process? Um, it was actually when it got when when it came down to it, like I had a like my friend, his name was Jamal Smith, and he um his name is Jamal Smith. He was a very close person, like my only really him and Mighty Mark. They were like uh, Mighty Mark's one of my producers I work with who introduced me. Um, he's been working with me on club stuff. Um, and another producer by the name of Samir Debonair, who was the first person. They were the first people that I did club music with, but Jamal Smith was the guy that I used to work with, and he got in a car accident like um, in 2014 and encountered a brain injury. Oh my and god! All of a sudden, we were get, we were right at a place where we had got to a point where I was about to get a booking agent, go on tour, and you know he had helped me get to that point. We had got there together, but now all of a sudden I was on my own, so it felt like I had to start from ground zero after like working for like yeah. six seven years to get to that place. God. And at that moment, I the film from the film to the music, I just started hitting the ground running. But with the film, there were so many technical difficulties along the way, and not having budgets and things like that. Um, I had had I've had friends that were you know were in the grant were into writing grants, and that's really where it kind of made the shift happen for me. I started kind of looking into those outlets. Yeah, because I was like, I don't know how to film this myself. I mean, how I'm gonna myself, so I found some local grants and I started writing them, and I was getting rejected. I got rejected a couple of times, and the, the third time I applied for this one specific grant, they gave it to me. Wow! And uh, then I got another. Then I got another one that was going to enable me to be fully funded for the film, at least to get us through production. Yeah. And then after that, um, I, I was like, okay, I have this project. I have been going. I have been going to um, back and forth to LA. Okay. And I was also writing a lot of music for the show Insecure. Yeah. And that's how you met Isa. You no, know, I had crossed. Yeah, I had crossed Issa on a few occasions. They would say, and then this year when I, you know, I've been in LA for almost two years. But um, so you li- you live in LA now? September, yeah, I live okay. in LA now. Okay. Um, when I make a film. I was like, I got to get this film in front of some people so that I just didn't want it to, like, fall into tears. That's what I felt. I felt so many times I would put so much into things, and then it would just kind of fall. Like, no one would hear about it, you know? And so I'm an actor. I totally I, relate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, you know, Baltimore doesn't really have an industry. Yeah. They have media. All the newspapers are closed. Our venues are shut down. And I was like, you know, I gotta get somewhere where this could still be seen because possibly it could bring back some resources and and really create awareness of what's happening there because there are some really great people there that you know have families and they have companies and businesses that are creative and I just want to kind of be a bridge to help connect some of these bigger resources. Yeah. So I came to LA just like I had to go. I had to go and venture out for myself. 
because I had been in Baltimore for like maybe 12 years now and just felt like, you know, the wheel was spinning, but it wasn't going anywhere yeah. after a while. Yeah. So, um, met Issa and her team. Um, I was shadow directing for an episode of her new, for, for Insecure this new season four. Wow. So she, she's, she's really a friend and, and a fellow that helped you along. Yeah. I, like, basically, on the last phase of the video, post-production of the film, a year and a half into L.A., I finally got to, to Issa and her team, and they saw my trailer, and they wanted to see the screener of the film, but once they saw the screener, they said, listen, we want to support you. Wow. And, you know, they had just, they started, they were starting Color Creative, um, their brand that is all about supporting underrepresented writers and directors, and this was like, well, like my, again, this is my first time I hadn't gone to film school, really, so... It was kind of surreal because I'm like, man, I, I know I know that a year ago we were trying to find so much. We just wanted to co-sign anybody yeah. that could just, just tweet us or something. Tweet, retweet our trailer, you know? Yeah. I had never seen this path. You know, I, I had a big goal and dream and vision for the film, but I never saw this person. And now that I'm in here, I just feel really blessed to have this type of support. And we haven't even done it anything yet like we're really just getting started so i'm really excited about what the future holds totally and i I should i should have asked this a while ago but for the audience listening like how would you explain this film because it's an amalgamation of so many different things like how what would you what would you say how would you describe this dark city well dark city beneath the beat is an audio visual experience you know it was based around all the soundtrack of the baltimore club music genre and it really, if you were to open a window to Baltimore, to the world, and be in Baltimore maybe for like 24 to 72 hours, yeah, and experience the culture, I feel like that's what this film represents. Wow, that's amazing. And it uplifts the narrative of Baltimore, which is, you know, in the media, overshadowed by trauma, drugs, violence. And that wasn't my experience living there. It wasn't. And I wanted to just... Yeah, I wanted to show people that there's more to Baltimore than what the media portrays. You know, there's more to Baltimore than just The Wire. Even though the yeah. Wire is do, do you feel like The Wire, I, I want to ask you honestly, do you feel like The <laughs> Wire had a, a negative impact on Baltimore, or do you think it was a, a good thing? I mean, there are those sides to Baltimore, so I feel like it's just one side. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be honest, I've never seen an episode of The Wire. Oh my God, you, you got it. It's the best TV show of all time. <laughs> I've never seen I've been meaning, I've been wanting to, but I just haven't had, like, it hasn't been, you know, and it's crazy because I have friends who like to And it's like, I just haven't sat down and watched it, but I do. I'm going like, to have to buy you an Apple TV and an HBO Go subscription. That's what I'm going to send you for Christmas. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> please do. That's amazing. And then. But no, I think. I think yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious, you know, because like in the film, it's very chromatic, and I love that. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I, even though I'm just an actor, I, I love colors, and you know, I love music. And mm-hmm. it, when you conceived this, did you have like a a chromatic idea for different colors of it throughout the film? Well, I knew that I wanted it to be like art, performance, music, and fashion, and I felt like a lot of the scenes are performance art. Like, the things that we're in public with, they're, they're performance art. So we are curating, choreographing, and, and presenting something to the public. 
However, the people around have no idea what's going on, so there's this kind of interesting interactivity that occurs. Totally. So when you're watching a film, it's almost twisting the realities of yeah. like, okay, am I watching a documentary or is there something that's different than that? And yeah. I just wanted to kind of take a different approach um, with a documentary because I felt like what haven't we seen? You know, yeah. we've seen documentaries where, you know, we see interview, B-roll, cut. One of the things I wanted to make sure the film was at the least, even if it wasn't the best edit or the best film cinematography, red camera, I wanted to make sure that people were entertained yeah. and inspired and touched. Totally. Those were the driving elements you achieved it. to creating this. You really, you. You, you really did. It was so beautiful and moving. How, you know, like, given that you said you didn't experience that, one of the things that I thought the film was so great at was like, you know, Baltimore is a city that's trying to reconcile its past while finding its future. And you did a great job of incorporating the trauma of Baltimore in there. And since that wasn't your experience, how, how were you able to like do that so well, even though you didn't see that side of it? You mean, um, which side do you mean? You know, like the the drugs, the violence, the guns. You know, I'm, I'm talking oh, in particular okay. about that one piece with the uh, the musicians and the dancers that were, you know, on the ground bleeding and then coming to life. You know, I, I okay. that was my favorite so, part in the film. So for me, it wasn't that, I'll say my personal experiences, like I've never been loved in Baltimore, but I've seen and I've had friends who have had traumatic situations or who had had to deal with, you know, family members on drugs. Um, we've had to deal with losing young people to the street. I was there when the Frank Gray riots were happening. So oh, I wow. When they put the curfews out and they had the big tanks, you know, moving yeah. around. I remember all these things and vividly. And so a lot of those um, images that I saw, I felt like, can we make this performative? Because easily we can go and interview people and have them tell us about their story, but can we tell it through music, dance, poetry, yeah. and still get that same feel? And so that, that that's really where, where it comes from. It came from just like, if I wanted to show people the social climate of Baltimore, totally, um, we can tell them, like, we can, I kept, my great directors kept saying, um, if you can show it, there's no need to say it. Yeah. Right? So I use that a lot in my image working. Okay. And at one point, it was mostly those kind of performative things in the cut. But I realized also that this is the first type of film like this coming out of Baltimore. Yeah. So I did want to incorporate some of the narratives of the, the people that inspired me, to be honest. Of the course. people that I saw were doing things without grants, without anybody telling them to do it, like Unique from Be More Than Dance and Mighty Mark and Terry, GSU, Dance Crew. I just saw these guys just really hungry and trying to save lives, mentors. To me, they were hidden heroes, and that's what kind of, you know, shaped the main people that I kind of focus in on because there's so much more to the lineage and history of Baltimore club music, but I didn't personally feel like I was the one to tell that story of the evolution of Baltimore yeah. club. I didn't feel like that's where I came into it, you know? Um, but I did feel like I had built enough relationship with the community to tell a different story. Totally. Tell a story that highlights the beauty in the city. Yeah, you did such a, it was so beautiful and so moving and then you started a record company as well, right? Your or your own label, I should yeah. say. 
Did you sign a lot yes, of the artists um, in it? Well, the, the thing is, I haven't, you know, signed any artists yet. You know, I'm probably the first artist. But what my label is kind of focused on right now is distribution and helping artists, specifically female artists and women of color in music. Can you tell the audience the name of your label? Like, Sorry, real quick. I, I just want to make sure that... I'm sorry, say that again? Can you tell the audience the name of the record label so they can check it out? Oh, so my, the name of the record label is Club Queen Records. Club Queen Records. The name was... Yeah. yeah great. The name was inspired by DJ K. Swift, who was a well-known DJ, woman of color, globalizing the Baltimore club music sound, taking it to different places in the world, and also creating a platform for new producers, musicians to get primetime radio play. Yeah. And she was running a club, and she was the original club queen. And so I felt like when she passed, rest, rest in peace, um, there was a void in the community, and it was like a decade of work yeah. was done that I was working on doing, whether it was from the film and the music side of things, trying to continue to push the narrative of club music. I was working with Naughty Mark. We were dropping club music consistently every year for the past decade. Yeah. And then the blog started coming back to Baltimore. And then everybody, you know, people started dancing again. Wow. The music started to have more life again. And I started to see more DJs come back out. So, you know, I'm just here to tell my story as a woman in music because a lot of people do not tell that story. Yeah. And Club Queen Electric is really all about that. I realized for 10 years, I worked so hard, and I worked with some of the top dance producers, the Diplos, and just different uh, DJs and producers all over the world, and no one's ever reached out and said, hey, let's bring you on a tour. Let's have you open up for this major act. Like, it really was never like that. It really was never easy for me or given to me. So... For me, Club Queen Records, I said, you know, with this, I want to just open my own door. You know what I'm saying? Because if I if I say that, you can't shut the lid in my face. Yeah. And I want to open it up for other girls who may not have had those opportunities. Yeah. But also women who have been in certain situations and maybe they're you know, independent or maybe they want to work and collaborate. Because my thing is, is women need to collaborate more musically. You know, the guys do it all the time. They put the differences aside. I like to promote that, that unity, that woman empowerment through creating music and putting it out and also helping women understand how to make money and revenue off of their music. That's beautiful. Whether it's through licensing and placements on television. So that's kind of like what I have to offer currently because the record and we're, we're organically growing. I think this year is just all about getting the word out there more and just getting more support. Is, is there a website partners. or a social media that the, the audience can check out? Yes. Yes, we're on Instagram, Club Queen Records. Club Queen Records. Our website is Club Queen. Yes, and our website is clubqueenrecords.com. Amazing. And our Twitter is Club Queen Records without the S. Oh, amazing. I love that. And then uh, yep. I'm so sorry about South by Southwest. So what's the plan for the film now? So right now we have just been having strategy meetings, strategy meetings about where and how creative we can get. Of course, you know, all the other stuff that's going on right now, but you know, we're just going to have to adapt and figure out what will be the best format. Because like I said, I want to keep this with care. And, um, I, we have so much lined up, you know what I mean? Due to the circumstances of what the world is experiencing. I know. 
everything's kind of on pause, but we're definitely trying to get the best um, situation for the film in the long run, and we're trying to figure out a way to kind of get this thing seen even during this time, you know? So, Is there anything the audience can do to help support? Is there anything the audience can do to help support the cause as well as um, me? I just encourage people to like follow the talent, support their music. Also, our trailer is streaming right now on Ethan Ray Production YouTube page. Um, shout out to Color Creative. And yeah, just check out the trailer, share it with as many friends as you can, um, and check out our website, Dark City Be More. Just keep following the movement. That's that's really all we're asking for. We we have a soundtrack get ready to come out too with the film. So I'm really excited about all these things. And oh, I'm, I'm so excited for you. Done. That's amazing. Thank you. Well, Titi, thank you you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure, and I'm so excited, and I can't wait till I can show friends the film, and I'm so grateful for your time. I appreciate you, too. Thank you so much. All right. Much love. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.